and welcome to episode 10 of Roscast, a personal podcast for the one and only Ros Richards. Today we've got a reading from Melissa on the legal situation around puberty blockers, a fascinating subject. Over to you, Melissa. Analysis. Gaelic competence wins the day in puberty blockers appeal from Irish Legal News by Dr. Sandra Duffy. This is a slightly obscure source, but I found it really difficult to find an article that gave the facts in an easy, accessible way with enough of the backstory and what their implications were, which I think is telling in itself. So I've gone for the Irish Legal News. On Friday 17th September, the Court of Appeal for England and Wales handed down its decision in the appeal of Bell v Tavistock and Portman NHS Trust. This judgment overturned December's original divisional court decision in Bell v Tavistock. The Bell decisions concern the Tavistock Gender Identity Development Services referrals for the prescription of puberty-blocking drugs to trans young people under the age of 16. Puberty blockers, as the name implies, are short-term medications which are given to young people to halt the development of pubertal indicators. They are used in trans children diagnosed with gender dysphoria and cisgender, non-trans children experiencing precocious puberty. Puberty blockers have become socially controversial in recent times, but the medical evidence is that they are safe and reversible. Once they are no longer taken, the body will resume normal pubertal development. In the December judgment, referred to here as Bell 1, the divisional court held that it was, open quote, highly unlikely that a child aged 13 or under would ever be Gillick competent to give consent to being treated with puberty blockers. In respect of children aged 14 or 15, we are also very doubtful that a child of this age could understand the long-term risks and consequences of treatment in such a way as to have sufficient understanding to give consent. The overriding legal prin- close quote. The overriding legal principle in these cases is that of Gillick competence, arising from the case of Gillick v. West Norfolk and Wisbeck Area Health Authority, 1986. Gillick concerned a 16-year-old girl who wished to access contraception contrary to her mother's wishes. The court in this case held that a minor age 16 or under may consent to medical treatment in their own capacity as long as, open quote, she had sufficient maturity and intelligence to understand that nature and implications of the proposed treatment. Close quote. The Bell 1 decision modified Gillick competence but only with respect to the issuance of puberty-blocking medications and only where they are required by trans children. Through the declaration and guidance issued in the judgment, it set a near-impossibly high standard for competence to consent, including a requirement to understand the effects of cross-sex hormones, a treatment which is only prescribed to adults. The Court of Appeal disagreed profoundly with the findings of the Divisional Court on both evidentiary and legal bases, 
its decision to overturn found that the divisional court had relied on flawed expert evidence, implied factual findings that the divisional court was not equipped to make, and was incorrect in issuing both its declaration of law and its guidance on the application. Of particular importance is the Court of Appeal's finding that Gillick competence applies to puberty blockers in the same way that it would to any other medical decision. The Court even indicates that this applies whether or not the treatment in question is socially controversial, stating, open quote, The ratio decidendi of Gillick was that it was for doctors and not judges to decide on the capacity of a person under 16 to consent to medical treatment. Nothing about the nature or implications of the treatment with puberty blockers allows for a real distinction to be made between the consideration of contraception in Gillick and of puberty blockers in this case, bearing in mind that when Gillick was decided 35 years ago, the issues it raised in respect of contraception for the under-16s were highly controversial, in a way that is now hard to imagine. The Court of Appeal went on to reaffirm the key role of clinicians in making decisions about the capacity of their patients, rather than delegating that role to the courts. Open quote. Clinicians will inevitably take great care before recommending treatment to a child, and be astute as to ensure that the consent obtained from both child and parents is properly informed by the advantages and disadvantages of the proposed course of treatment, and, in the light of evolving research, an understanding of the implications and long-term consequences of such treatment. Close quote. This decision is not the outcome desired by Kira Quincy Bell, the original complainant in the cases. She contended that she had not had the capacity to consent to transition-related medical interventions as a teenager, although it's important to note that Bell only underwent irreversible surgical interventions as an adult because such procedures are not authorised for the age cohort addressed by the Divisional Court in Bell 1. Her complaint about the Tavistock's practices could therefore be said to be almost entirely notional. Indeed, the Divisional Court found, and the Court of Appeal upheld, the lawful nature of the Tavistock's referrals for puberty blockers. <coughs> the medical landscape for young trans people in the UK has been bleak since Bell 1, which had a real and lasting chilling effect on referrals for puberty blockers. With the appeal in hand, it's hoped that NHS England will now turn its attention once again to the guidelines for referrals and update them in line with the Court of Appeals ruling. However, for children who have had to wait and experience distress and dysphoria for nine months, it is little consolation. Bell and her legal team have announced an intention to appeal the decision to the UK Supreme Court, citing a belief that Gillick is no longer fit for purpose. It's difficult, however, to see a basis for an appeal in the Court of Appeal's decision. This may therefore be the last we hear of Bell v Tavistock in the courts, but the influence of its arguments around other medical treatments for young people, such as vaccines or abortion, may have a more lasting effect on the discourse. Gillick has been assailed, but in this case, it has survived unmodified. Thanks so much for that reading, Melissa. 
And in a kind of a break from tradition, um, we're going to do this outro slightly, slightly differently to how we've uh, we've done it in past months this month. Um, I don't actually know very much about this subject at all, and um, so I wasn't, you know, I didn't really know what I would be able to sort of say in a comment piece afterwards. So instead, I've roped Melissa in. Hello, Melissa. Hello, surprise. Hello. <laughs> um, to, we're going to have more of a conversation about it, and um, I've got a kind of a bunch of questions that I'd like to ask Melissa, and she has warned me that she probably won't know many of the answers <laughs> to them, but we're going to do do our best and uh, and see how it goes. It's a very so, complicated subject. Yes, it, it definitely seems to be. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I guess my first question sort of comes to that. It's like, so why, why did you choose this article to include in the podcast this month? Well, I think, as I said at the beginning of the reading, it wasn't the article I would ideally have chosen, but I couldn't find a better one that sort of summed up the news story. Um, but I really wanted to talk about that that news story. So in September, the um, the sort of, is it the Supreme Court or is that in America? I don't know. But anyway, the High Court in the UK um, kind of overturned... It's an appeals the, court, I think. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Overturned a previous decision that was made a year ago about this, about these uh, puberty blockers. And it's, it's quite significant. It's quite important both for like trans rights and children's rights and working in a children's charity and being in the LGBTQ plus community I guess it feels very important to me and I don't think that it's very known about there aren't many articles about it and people aren't really talking about it so that was why I wanted to do it. It's interesting you say that not a lot of people are talking about it I mean absolutely I hadn't read about this particular story but trans rights are definitely something that is in in the news a lot at the moment um more in the context of universities um what what's your sort of take on that thing about maybe what's happening at sussex um maybe you can describe what's happening at sussex in case our listener doesn't doesn't really know hasn't been following that too much um you know especially as somebody who has worked in higher education institutions yourself I don't actually know what you're referring to there. Has there been so, something in the news about universities? Yeah, there's a. I, I mean, you're you're catching me on the hoof here a little bit, but I've I've read a little bit about. There's this lecturer at the University of Sussex, I think, who oh. is particularly um, who has some sort of strong views on um, trans rights that are not generally the views that trans people have. Um, oh, wow. I have you seen this story at all? If not, not we can just drop it and move on to something else. But I'll definitely it's... read about that later. But I think just generally you're right that it's been such a contentious couple of years for trans rights with J.K. Rowling and everything else that's been going on. I, th- I think in this case, it like the the, um, the the one that I was talking about. It was a uh, one. It was it was kind of around academic freedom and whether academic like what views academics should be allowed to hold. Should academics be held to account for their views? Should they be fired if they have views that are considered controversial by the students that they're supposed to be teaching? Where does the power sit in that relationship? Yeah, those are all really interesting, difficult questions, and I suppose that could be another podcast, but. 
Probably. Um, Ros and I did actually watch a really interesting TV series about this when I was last in Reading. It's on Netflix, and I can't remember what it's called, but it's got the woman from Killing Eve in it. And it really does deal well with all those kinds of questions about wokeness and students versus professors and culture wars and all of this stuff. It's very interesting. Okay, I'll have to <laughs> look that one out. Yeah. <coughs> um, but yeah, but let's re- let's return to what we we're actually supposed to be talking about, which is the <laughs> uh, the article that you you suggested. What what has the reaction to this judgment been in the 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 you know the LGBTQ community? Well, I think um, the sort of initial reaction has been massive relief. Like it's definitely positive. It would have been really bad if that ruling had been upheld. Um, I think that though people have been quite keen to make the point that um, even though this is positive, uh, it's kind of not not they don't feel safe. Like it doesn't mean that this couldn't still be overturned, or it doesn't mean that rights could get eroded in other ways and they are all the time so it's kind of relief but with a caveat of caution and then I think alongside that as well that people are making a very good point that to some extent even though it's a victory in principle in practicality trans uh, like adolescents are having to wait for such a long time for treatment that actually it's too late for them to get these puberty blockers even when even though it is now allowed so it's kind of a moot point in a way Um, why are they waiting so long for treatment well yeah that's a a good question like the the nhs target is for all all patients to receive care within 18 weeks and people are waiting like three or four years just for a first appointment at um the gender identity clinic there's only one gender identity clinic for young people in the UK so the number of referrals has skyrocketed in the last say five years because there's been like such greater visibility and awareness about trans people and that's led to more people identifying as trans um, so they just there's just not enough capacity to, to help them and and then, you know, but the real question is, like, why hasn't that been resolved? Why hasn't that been a priority? Why have resources not been dedicated to that? And I suppose that there's an underlying, like, inequality there. And, and it's that inequality that you think is driving these, these longer waiting times or the lack of resources being allocated to these services? Exactly, yeah. There needs to be more clinics for young people, but there's no funding being made available for that so they're not meeting their target and you know it's it's for a very specific group of people so I would say that that is discrimination and um, I think that um, no I lost my point there I forgot what else I was going to (laughs) say that's okay (laughs) (laughs) so I mean one thing that I wanted to ask is you know you you talked about um, I can't remember the exact phrase you phrasing you used, but you, you talked a moment ago about how um, it, it seems like it's it's getting harder for people um, who are trans at the moment to get this this kind of treatment. But 
in terms of just like the legal situation, is this sort of part of a wider trend towards better trans rights? Um, is the situation improving, legally speaking, in the UK? Not really, under this Conservative government. I think there was a there was a review as well about people legally changing their gender and whether it should become an easier process and whether, for example, people should be able to identify as like non-binary in their passport rather than just male or female. <clears throat> and a lot of countries do allow that, but um, the, this government hasn't decided not to do it. And I don't think there is really a, a valid reason. I think that's the direction we're moving in. So I, I think, yes, it feels at the moment that things are going backwards both legally, although obviously with this recent news, that is something positive because initially it looked worse. But also in within society, which it's true that there's a lot more recognition and support for trans rights, which is really good and it's more visible, but that's leading to this backlash and it's becoming a lot more contentious now in the same way that gay rights were maybe 30, 40 years ago. Right, yeah, of course. And and does this case kind of have wider implications for teenagers' ability to give informed consent in other areas or is it just specifically about gender identity? No, it's... It relates to a, a concept I talked about in the reading, Gillick competence. So this is a legal concept that children can give informed consent about their own health care if they're kind of judged to be mature enough to do it. And if, if they're kind of inf like given the right information about the implications, then they can make those decisions. And... Um, that that was a originally determined like again a long time ago decades ago in a case of a girl who wanted to be prescribed contraception a teenage girl and her parents didn't want her to she was under 18 but they ultimately decided that she should be able to choose that for her own body and her parents shouldn't decide it for her um so that that kind of was quite an important um, ruling for the autonomy of children in the UK and this um, this was threatened by this ruling. If, if, if they decided that they couldn't give consent to receive puberty blockers then that would have had implications for all children and the, like their ability to choose their own health care. And so with other treatments like, say, COVID vaccinations or something like that, that standard of Gillick competence still applies. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And I also think it's worth saying that these puberty blockers aren't just prescribed to trans children or young people. They're also prescribed to, for example, um, children who have what's called precocious puberty. So they have puberty very early and they might be prescribed these blockers to just delay it by a couple of years and that's in no way contentious nobody thinks that that nobody worries about their future fertility or thinks that that's going to mess with their brain or any of these things no like the media didn't kind of 
pick up on on that it was just with trans children that they have a problem with it i see and what like how how do these laws differ maybe you don't know in other countries around say europe and maybe the united states are there similar kind of is is the situation similar for for trans kids in those countries or does it vary tremendously by each country do you know it varies um it's it's kind of uh, i'm trying to get some idea of like to what extent Britain is being a, a trailblazer in in kind of making this this decision and or affirming this decision anyway. Um, yeah, I think it's um, it is kind of the first time it's been tested in court. I think it, uh, in one of the states of the US, one of the southern states probably, um, they they tried to to ban puberty blockers and it was overturned at the federal level. Um, so it is. They are being prescribed in the U.S. as well at the moment, mm. um, and they have obviously much shorter waiting lists. But the problem there is that it's not covered by Medicare health insurance. Um, in Europe, uh, I think Norway, or maybe Sweden. I think I mentioned this in the reading. Um, they also kind of called for a halt on prescribing puberty blockers while they reviewed the evidence. It's not quite as strong as what happened in the UK. Hmm. But I think, yeah, around the world, trans activists were kind of watching to see what this ruling would be as an indicator of what direction things might go in. Yeah. And what, what do you think, you know, what do you think the trajectory is in the future for this stuff, at least in in the UK? Well, yeah, I, <laughs> I think in the long term, I'm optimistic that trans rights will improve and equality will improve in the same way that it has for gay people. Um, but I do think that it's not, it's just a really terrible time. And I, it's, it's so serious. Like, it doesn't sound like such a serious issue, whether whether a young person can delay their puberty by two years, but it actually, you know, in terms of those young people's mental health and psychological well-being, it makes a massive difference, and it can mean life or death. Like it, like allowing them to take these puberty blockers can reduce their risk of suicide, and it's so it's actually about saving lives, and and I suppose that's why I'm so passionate about it and the, the media portrays it as this like experimenting on children or whatever but they don't they don't talk about that side of it that if you don't prescribe these blockers the the potential negative health consequences could be so much worse so I, I guess yeah I hope I hope things do change. I think it's quite desperate. It's a, it's a crisis and the length of the waiting lists as well. It's causing people to die. So I really do hope that it will improve. But I think it will take more campaigning. Okay. Well, thank you so much for, um, yeah, <laughs> helping explain that to me certainly um it's as i said it's a subject that i didn't know so much about so i really appreciate you yeah bringing it to my attention and um 
and having this being willing to have this conversation with me about it it really helped me help me understand it a bit better um and yeah next month we'll hopefully go back to depending on what article i choose i guess we'll go back to the normal system where it'll just be a, a monologue response but i did actually quite like this interview format so maybe we could return to it in the future yeah it was nice to be able to talk a little bit more about it so thanks for inviting yeah. me <laughs> <laughs> you're most welcome and you're i need to let you go now because you're going to go off and have your dinner what's for dinner um jacket potatoes with ratatouille oh good choice mm. excellent choice all right well on that note we'll uh, we'll end there thank you very well, much thank you and i look forward to us continuing the discussion on telegram yes definitely Okay, thanks. Bye.